This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause as we continue to broadcast on a weekly basis educating the public about the real story. And, Jay Doc, I'm so excited to uh, set the foundation in these opening couple of minutes. We have two great guests that are going to join us. We're going to talk about a very important bill in the state of Delaware. And then on the other side, closer to the bottom of the hour, we're going to spend two segments of today's show, two segments of the Labor and Energy Show, on carbon capture. Now, I know that it sounds hard to listen. It's, it's a term that sounds difficult to listen to. We're going to educate you in a way that's going to make you more informed. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. So we're going to have Joe uh, Fitzgerald, who's a lobbyist for the Castle County uh, Chamber of Commerce in Delaware. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, Senate Bill 305, which is trying to, they're trying to push it, not, not Joe, but um, the legislature is trying to push it through in session uh, without input of labor uh, and, and, and uh, you know, the business community and, and a number of people that should have input on this. And again, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where, um, in a sense, it's, it's, it's like being in the twilight. So why are they doing it without trying to put something together? It's supposed to lower emissions in a very seemingly unrealistic way. And, you know, it, it needs to be addressed, you know, the, the proper way. And so, thankfully, Joe's got that information. We're going to talk about that. And then Corey Channon. Okay, you want to talk about a smart guy and you want to talk about somebody who understands um, not only carbon capture, but also understands the, the environment and, and climate change and who's passionate about it. Um, Corey Channon, the international... Uh, of the International Boilermakers Union uh, is one of the most knowledgeable people going, and he can ex- he'll explain the details of carbon capture, uh, the, you know, the needs for it, the way uh, we can utilize those technologies to impact the environment, to lower emissions within our current traditional energy uh, sector and 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 resources, and it, it, it's the details that people don't hear. Corey Channon's going to explain them. All right, good stuff. Jay Doc, as we go to our first commercial break, if you're listening on this radio station, we thank all of our radio affiliates who are broadcasting the Labor and Energy Show. We're able to reach a tremendous amount of people. We're able to talk directly to a uh, high number of political uh, representatives who tune in and listen to these powerful radio stations that are carrying uh, the Labor and Energy Show, and we will continue to educate you, the public, on the details. We'll provide the details. We'll provide the facts. We'll provide the reality of the story. Um, You make an educated decision. That's all we ask of you. We'll get to a commercial break here on the Labor and Energy Show. And we'll introduce our first guest on the other side back in a moment. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. 
And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause, one programming alert, J-Doc. We continue to build out our Labor and Energy Summit. We'll have more details as we roll forward uh, into the month of July. Also, as promised, Joe Fitzgerald now standing on deck to kick us off on this week's edition of the Labor and Energy Show. Absolutely, Joe. I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Joe Fitzgerald, who is a lobbyist uh, for the Castle County. A Chamber of Commerce in Delaware. Joe, how are you, sir? Very well, thanks. How about yourself? Uh, really, uh, really good. And, and uh, you know, so much going on. And one of the things we're talking about is Senate Bill 305, a.k.a. the Delaware Climate Bill. And yeah, lots going on with that. Uh, if you would, elaborate. Please tell us what it is. Yes. Um, well, I'll just put it this way. This legislation, on the face of it, it's being represented as allowing state agencies to consider greenhouse gas, em- gas emissions targets and the elements of the state climate action plan uh, in the regulatory promulgation process when they're developing or updating regulations. And what it actually does by the reading of most competent professionals who've reviewed it from the business community, um, it, uh, it instead requires that all regulations where applicable and that the, the, the term where applicable doesn't help as much as you might think, um, that all regulations uh, be uh, developed with the aim of reaching the uh, greenhouse gas emissions targets and or advancing other aspects of the state climate action plan, state energy plan. So really, the way we, the way that uh, the stakeholders in the business community see this legislation um, is that it is a broad grant of new regulatory authority to every agency of state government, and it's more than just a grant of authority. It is also a mandate because it says that agency shall instead of may apply the, uh, the the targets and, and other elements of, of the state climate action plan um, in, in development regulations. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, before you go on, um, as, as I understand it, the bill looks to mandate somewhat unachievable greenhouse gas reductions for Delaware in a very tight time frame with no direction on how those reductions will actually be achieved. Talk about that. Because it, 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 the bill itself is, seems very unrealistic. Well, in terms of the goals themselves, the uh, reductions, uh, the two t- reduction targets, you know, with uh, you know, fifty percent by twenty thirty, and ninety percent by twenty fifty. Uh, our focus has been more on the fact that. Um, in order to reach those targets, whether or not they're achievable as a general proposition. But in order to reach those targets, the bill says that, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim, when state agencies are promulgating or amending regulations within their statutory authority, each agency shall, where applicable, incorporate the state's greenhouse gas emissions, reduction targets, climate action plans, sea level rise scenarios, temperature scenarios, and precipitation scenarios. And then it goes on, the bill would uh, go on to require a finding that any new regulation will not negatively impact the achievement of the state's greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets. So, in essence, this means that without any parameters as to how you reach uh, a conclusion about applicability, right, of what you're proposing as an agency, um, without any requirement that there be any demonstrable correlation between what you're proposing and any measurable reduction, and greenhouse gas, uh, gas emissions, or any other, uh, you know, scientifically uh, sound um, 
reason, uh, you know, or, or, or goal from the, uh, from the climate action plan. So it, it, it has to write the blank check, uh, it, from our, from our, from our standpoint and says that these things must be considered for every new regulation that's being developed, no matter which agency. Now remember this applies to more than the Department of Natural Resources. It's every agency of state government. That means it applies across every sector of our economy. Yeah, and, and, so, and, and well, before you move forward, so I mean, didn't Delaware just fall short of its its current goals of reducing the greenhouse gas emissions twenty six percent below uh, two thousand and five levels? Um, and and how are legislators? How do they expect to double those numbers? In, you know, by twenty thirty, if they can't meet meet numbers that are relative right now. That is a good question, um, and you know I think that had the bill been introduced earlier in the session, had all the stakeholders, including organized labor, you know the business community, the general public, uh, been included in the discussion along with the environmental advocacy groups, um, instead of having it be developed solely through through that lens. We would have probably been able to have that discussion about whether or not these goals are reachable, right? And we would have been able to have a discussion about whether or not the bill needs to be more narrowly tailored to, you know, to not cause all kinds of economic and social consequences, you know, in the furtherance uh, or pursuit of those goals, right? So you've got a bill that was dropped in on June 2nd. Uh, it was introduced on June 2nd. It was in committee on June 8th, and it was on the Senate floor on June 9th. And to the best of our knowledge, no one in organized labor was aware that the bill was coming, and no one uh, in the business community was aware that the bill was coming. No one was consulted. Um, I think the, uh, from what I understand, uh, advocates, in the, uh, you know, environmental policy advocates uh, a number of them were aware, and that is, of course, uh, entirely legitimate to include them because they're legitimate stakeholders with, uh, with with important insight. But so are the other constituencies, you know. Yeah. So and, and, we're but, build this quickly. Yeah, but the point is, you know, you know, you, you explain the time frame there. I mean, who's mm-hmm. pushing this thing? Because at the end of the day, um, they're just trying to, in in, in a sense. Um, get it in quickly and get it out quickly, okay? And and I say that because they're trying to jam, uh, which is really intolerable because it's such a massive initiative, um, you know, through the waning days of, of the legislative session. Why don't they want to take the time to craft a bill that might reduce greenhouse gas emissions without threatening uh, jobs or, you know, other particular areas? Well, I, I think... You know, first of all, you know, you know, we take uh, at the chamber, we take the administration, or rather, the Department of Natural Resources, um, stated interpretation of the language in the bill um, in, as being offered in good faith, right? So, the problem is, so what they're saying is, this is just an you know aspirational uh, piece of legislation that fra- that to frame the discussion to get the process started of incorporating these emissions targets and other things into the regulatory process. Instead, uh, from our standpoint, and based on the advice of competent legal, environmental, and other, uh, and other professionals, this bill does quite a bit more. You know, it, it mandates that uh, the, the, these factors enter into the uh, development of every regulation by every agency applying to every sector of our economy, right? So... Um, there's a real difference uh, of opinion, it appears, between what the department, you know, is asserting the bill does and what everyone else, uh, at least among the business stakeholders, thinks that it does. Joe Fitzgerald is our special guest here on the Labor and Energy Show with JDoc uh, and Krause. Joe, question for you for some clarity uh, in reference to the chamber. Um, what is the chamber doing? Because the chamber, 
And the responsibility of the chamber is to protect the businesses in the state of Delaware. Well, the Newcastle County Chamber of Commerce, the Delaware State Chamber of Commerce, uh, and other trade associations are working to uh, first, you know, we, we did request uh, of the governor directly that the bill, that the effort be deferred until next year. And we are developing uh, amendments to, to address those concerns. And, uh, you know, as from, in, from the, if you look, look at holistically, if you're looking at the economic picture, particularly when you're talking about industry, but the implications of the bill go well beyond heavy industry or manufacturing. Um, if you're looking at it through that lens, it's also important to include the input of, of organized labor, which uh, was not done in the development of legislation. So we think that, you know, that there, there, there are pieces of the economic picture, too, and an important one. So, uh, you know, viewed from the standpoint of uh, skilled trade jobs, uh, you know, et cetera. So, um, you know, we are working to along two tracks uh, to seek changes in the bill to address concerns um, and to, uh, you know, uh, failing that, uh, to uh, have the effort deferred until next year to allow for participation by the business, the business community, uh, organized labor, and the general public, along with the environmental advocacy community, policy advocacy community, because, you know, we don't argue with the fact, we, we don't deny that climate change is a policy priority that, that needs to be addressed. That's not what we're arguing here. What, what we're arguing is that it is important to do so in an environmentally, economically, and socially sustainable way, right? And uh, the process that brought this bill forward doesn't lend itself to that. One last quick question, and then I know J-Doc has a follow-up for you or a final uh, question for you, but just one quick thought on this. How powerful is the chamber? In Philadelphia, they say the Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce has a lot of weight. They have a lot of clout with decision makers because of how massive they are. Does the Delaware Chamber have clout in the state of Delaware? Well, the way we do things in Delaware is very collaborative, or we try to make it that way. And and this process was not collaborative. And the state chamber, their, their input is certainly... Uh, you know, given, given due weight by, by policymakers. And, uh, you know, they have, uh, uh, their membership is comprised of very important, you know, Delaware employers, very important, um, stakeholders in our economy. But I would, I would also add that so is uh, that of the Newcastle County Chamber of Commerce. We, we maintain a daily presence in legislative hall during session and engage on, uh, any issue that impacts business. So, you know, yes, we've got a good working relationship uh, with with uh, with the legislature, and you know, uh, also with uh, we, we work to uh, have a good working relationship with our uh, with our friends in, in organized labor, because again, particularly where there's a clear, uh, you know, sharing of interest. So, and so Joe, um, having said that, I totally agree. This should have been, uh, you know, everybody should have been included in this, uh, and it should be a collaborative effort. Um, for our listeners in Delaware that, that, that want to make their voices heard on the topic, okay, and this is getting to be the norm these days, situations like this, what can they do? Well, you know, I'd recommend that we would recommend that they contact the governor's office, that they contact um, you know, the sponsors of the legislation and just express their concerns, uh, you know, and say that number one, the bill needs work before it's ready, uh, before it's ready for enactment. Honestly, the, the bill needs a lot of work from our perspective and that the process to bring, to bring about a better bill needs to be inclusive of every stakeholder that will be impacted. Right. So, Joe, having said that, we, you know, keep up the, you know, you know, the good work here. Um, and we want to thank you so much for, for joining us on the Labor and Energy Show. Uh, this is an important topic. And and, and certainly, you know, it, it, this this was uh, proposed and introduced uh, incorrectly. And thank God, uh, you know, that, that you're out there, you know, with the megaphone making it happen. So we appreciate you joining us, my friend. 
I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that, and thank you very much. All right, good stuff from Joe Fitzgerald joining us here today on the Labor and Energy Show. We'll get to a commercial break. On the other side of the commercial break, Corey Shannon is going to join us, special assistant to the Boilermakers International President. We'll get into a deep two-segment conversation with Corey. J-Doc and Krause, back on the other side. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know that CO2 can be safely and permanently stored underground? Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. I'm back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you on another weekend. As we talked about J-Doc in the very opening of the show, uh, we're going to spend the a good portion of today's edition of the Labor and Energy Show talking about carbon capture. Before you introduce um, our uh, very, very special guest, special thanks to Joe Fitzgerald. Uh, we'll keep our eye Uh, on the Delaware Climate Bill, and we will continue to update all of the listeners um, on that bill uh, in terms of where it sits and how it progresses. Absolutely, Joe. And and, uh, like you said, we have a very special guest. We're we're, we're, uh, bringing into the program and someone who's not a stranger to the program. We've had Corey on, uh, you know, a while back and he did a fantastic job. And again, carbon capture, something we've been talking about since we launched the show. I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Corey Channon, who's a special assistant to the Boilermakers International President. He's the International Director of Climate Change Policy Solutions for More Work Investment Fund and the Assistant Director of Construction Sector Operations in Canada. Uh, Corey, how are you, sir? Welcome to the broadcast. Well, good morning, and, and, and thank you for this opportunity. It's nice to be back, and, and, and look forward to sharing some more knowledge and sharing some more information to hopefully um, ease some of the, the information that we're, we're, we're being told out here that isn't necessarily true and serving the, the best needs to how to mitigate climate change. Anyways, thank you again. And, and it's our pleasure. And, and, and uh, you know, this is a, a big topic, carbon capture. We've talked about it in the, in the past uh, as the world struggles with climate change. Uh, fossil fuels have increasingly been pointed out as the demon. Can you speak to this? What's what what's the Boilermakers international position? Well, that's a great question. And thank you. What's happening is that we're, you know, different interest groups are demonizing all these different industries that have put us in a position in society where we we're we're building roads, we're building bridges, we're building all the different things that we're building today need fossil fuels to manufacture them. So we're demonizing the very interest, uh, the the very industry, sorry, that are keeping us living comfortable lives. And that's just wrong. These, these groups, um, need to really be careful how they approach this because what's happening is that, you know, you need fossil fuels to manufacture all the different things that, that are being produced today and what surround us to make our lives very comfortable, whether it's heating homes or cooling homes. We need these resources to be able to do that. And you would think, by the way, that the only thing that was impacting the environment was cars, okay, the internal combustion engine, okay? There's 6,000 products um, that, you know, we've talked about and uh, that, that are, uh, you know, uh, comprised of fossil fuels. Um, it just seems like it, it, it's, it's Twilight Zone-esque to, to, uh, to think it's that simple. 
well, we're, we're not going to hit the switches and, and shut these things down because, A, it will bring so much harm to our economy. Um, we don't want to do that. We, you know, we all care about the environment, but we also need to keep these industries going. But we have solutions to mitigate these emissions that are going up into the air. So let's take a, a practical approach and let's have adult conversations on how we're going to be able to address these issues. It's time to start working together with, with everyone. And so uh, I know the Boilermakers have been big advocates of, of carbon capture technologies. Uh, for our listeners who might not have heard of carbon capture, use and storage, CCUS, uh, what is carbon capture use and storage? Well, it's essentially um, a, a large vacuum that will trap the CO2 emissions from either the point of source, which means either at a refinery or at a utility utility generating station, or for that matter, there's even a technology that can pull the CO2, even though it's difficult to do it from atmospheric air because the concentration of CO2 is low. It's called direct air capture, but this is essentially what these things do is they vacuum, they suck, they trap the CO2, and then we're able to capture that CO2 and we're able to store it. We're able to store it very safely. And I, I guess a good example of that is in Canada here where we, with the Shell Quest project, we've been storing a million tons of CO2 a year and we're monitoring, we're monitoring the CO2 plume three kilometers underground. And that's being done 10 times of what's, what's required. So this is safely stored. This works. It's nothing new. And it's time to move forward and apply this technology and invest in this technology if we're going to have a vibrant energy economy and with energy security and energy independence. Those are things that we all have to uh, give consideration to. Uh, There's different types of carbon capture uh, use and storage. Is there not? Well, there is. So, you know, the, the prominent one that we see today is using amine-based solutions because you have high volumes of CO2 um, going through that stream. So, yes, there, there is. There's also sorbent materials um, similar to what was used on um, one of the Apollo missions way back when. Um, it was uh, developed in order to make sure that these astronauts would be breathing safe air. But we also have um, the direct air capture again. Um, where we're pulling CO2 out of the atmospheric air. And, and so what are the climate change experts saying about carbon capture? Well, if we're, if we're going to view the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change as a governing authority on how to mitigate um, climate change and, and, and address the issues of CO2, there's three of the four pathways that they develop, and they all reference that carbon capture will play a vital role in doing what it needs to do to start to reduce the, the atmospheric CO2 level. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, again, governing authority says this is what we have to do. That CCUS is part of that. Carbon capture has to be part of that equation. Or we're not going to meet any of these targets, or we're not going to be able to do, quite frankly, what we're, um, the scientific community is asking us to do. And and this is this is uh, a, a, you know a question I've been thinking about, and I, well, I'm not an expert on it, but deforestation, right? Um, if, if we were, does that damage uh, our, you know our environment and, and not able to capture emissions also? So in other words, shouldn't we be planting more forests to help that process also? I, I could be way off, but I'm just throwing it out there. Well, we have to do everything. I mean. It's, um, we have to embrace every solution, quite honestly, that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is. You know, there's a place for wind, there's a place for solar, there's a place for nuclear, there's a, there's a place for CCUS. I mean, CCUS, we have to do geological survey and make sure that if we're gonna, if we're gonna be trapping these CO2 emissions at, at a refinery or an industrial facility, either that we have the ability to store it right there, or we have to be able to trap it, collect it, and transport it to a place where we can safely store it. So there's always a way to get this done. 
Speaking with Corey Shannon, of the, the special assistant to the Boilermakers International uh, president. Corey, sidebar question, just to, uh, you know, just to bring the audience into the conversation. I often wonder what they think when they hear the term carbon capture. What do you think they, what do you think pops into their mind when somebody hears the phrase or the two words carbon capture? Well, I think in some cases it's hard to uh, correlate or visualize, you know, what this is because, I mean, everyone knows what a wind farm and a solar panel look like, but they don't know what a carbon capture facility looks like. And essentially it looks the same as any other type of industrial facility that's out there. There's, there's, there's these pressure vessels, there's um, all kinds of, of piping systems. So it, it's really, it, it blends well into the existing infrastructure that you'd find in any of these industrial facilities. And, and, and you know what's interesting? You, you said something a couple of minutes ago about we, we have to do a lot of things. Okay, and I've been thinking about this um, in, in, in uh, you, know, uh, you know, just thinking about the whole process. And I, I actually came up with, believe it or not, something called the Moderation Proclamation. What does that mean? It means we can't deplete one particular area. We can't shut ourselves down of fossil fuels and petrochemicals that comprise so much of our society. We need to uh, do this in moderation across the board, exactly what you're saying. And some of the left-wing environmentalists claim that it, it, uh, you know, carbon capture is just a ploy to keep big oil in business. Um, does this enable the continuation of the, of the fossil fuel industry? How important is uh, a, a carbon capture? And should this be where environmentalists are focusing also? I mean, I believe it, it's, it's, you know, we should be looking for solutions to manage our current situation in a moderate way, not shooting ourselves in the foot and shutting ourselves almost completely down as a society. Corey? Well, I, I agree. Be yes. Oh, okay, go ahead. I, I agree. Because, because, well, what's happening, and I mean, this isn't a ploy to keep uh, big oil in business. This is, this is actually an, an essential tool to not just maintain a, a stable economy, but to, to grow employment opportunities, and you're going to clean the environment up. So there's your win-win story, cleaning the environment up and creating job opportunities, good-paying jobs, good-paying union jobs. So <clears throat> I failed to see where <clears throat> this is anything other than uh, trying to, to keep these in business because we have no alternative. So when you're producing a barrel of oil, um, depending on the refinery, you're, you're producing half that barrel of oil for fuel. The other half is used for for uh, the, the development of, of plastic products and all kinds of solvents and, and cleaners and things that we need to keep our economy moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and so you would say to environmentalists, extreme environmentalists, and to be fair, a lot of those, they just don't know any better. They, they can't, who just think we can uh, just... Uh, push a, a switch off and, and, and shut down fossil fuels and move to supposedly green options. You would say what? Well, I mean, we, we have to look at the green options. And, and again, they may not be as green as, as, as what we think because, A, you need fossil fuels to manufacture these green options, whether it be um, the, the manufacturing of electrolyzers for, for hydrogen. There's a lot of steel that goes into there. So how is that steel produced? It's, it's produced and manufactured by very, very intensive high thermal energy and high thermal heat. This is changing, but this isn't going to change overnight. This is decades and decades and decades of, of an evolution more so than it would be a transition. So, you know, when we build hydroelectric generating stations in, in different regions around the world, this is a great technology. We're utilizing a resource that we have in a region, and that's where we really need to narrow these things down. What type of infrastructure do we have in place right now, and what type of resources do we have to improve on, on the energy production itself? So hydroelectric, for example, I mean, they have these very large reservoirs. And I'm a fan of hydroelectric generating stations because we build these things throughout North America. 
However, the reservoirs are leaking a lot of methane when that vegetation is rotting. And we don't have any way right now of trapping that methane. So that's why I say, you know, we have to look at what works best in these regions. We have to look at what we have as, as current infrastructure and work off of that rather than trying to develop something that um, we're going to try to build from scratch when we don't have to. Like, so anyways, it's, uh, it's not always as green as what we think it is because we have no green technology to trap the emissions when we're producing um, solar panels and wind farms. We only want to apply this technology to those same very uh, production and manufacturing facilities because if we're going to clean this the environment up, let's clean it up, and we have to start with all of the above, and that means renewables as well. So we have to clean up that the production of renewables. The Labor and Energy Show with JDoc and Krause. Uh, we'll take a commercial break. We'll continue our conversation with Corey Shannon on the other side. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know carbon capture and storage technology is one of the few proven technologies that can deliver deep emissions reductions in industrial sectors? Did you know? What's a boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to this edition of the Labor and Energy Show, along with J-Doc M. Joe Krause. We thank everybody for tuning in weekly uh, to the Labor and Energy Show. Our mission and our objective, one of the reasons why we exist, is to educate the public on the facts, uh, on what is real, uh, on what is not so real. And we do that, J-Doc, by bringing very educated, smart people to the program. Today, our conversation segment one and two of this um, back half of the show has dealt with carbon capture. So really, really good stuff. Well, I'm ecstatic to have uh, Corey Shannon on, on, on the broadcast. Um, listening to Corey and Joe, you talk about educating people and what is real. Um, Corey said something in, in, in the last segment about um, the, you know, what it's going to take to create these, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, renewables, okay? And we're going to need fossil fuels uh, to, to, to actually create the, 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 the actual facilities, okay? And, and, and the products and the stuff, the wind turbines and all those things are created with fossil fuels, petrochemicals. Those are things that regular people, those are little details, and I'm being sarcastic when I say that, that, that envi- left-wing environmentalists are not. It's, it, honestly, um, our legislatures are saying it's almost like being in the twilight zone. And so, you know, I'm, I'm being incredibly enlightened. I hope the public is. One of the things I want to um, also move on to, an, another technology uh, that, that's continuing to come up in discussions, and I know the boilermakers have, have been talking about it lately, is hydrogen. Uh, Corey, can, can you explain how hydrogen factors into the climate change solutions? Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's a great question. Thank you. So hydrogen is going to play a vital role because right now there's all these different groups, environmental groups, labor groups, government groups, industry groups. They have all these different colors attached to the different types of hydrogen and how it's produced. But at the end of the day, when you burn hydrogen, your waste product is water. So again, when we, when we look at what is the best process for producing hydrogen? Because you can produce hydrogen from anything that's carbon-based. So uh, 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 there's a lot of talk about green hydrogen and blue hydrogen and gray hydrogen. So let me just explain briefly what green hydrogen Green hydrogen is produced through an electrolyzer where they split, they, they fill these, these tanks with water and they fire electricity through it and it 
split the atoms and they produce hydrogen. They, they're able to draw this hydrogen off. The electricity comes from renewable sources such as wind and solar. But the problem is, is that you can't run these electrolyzers just on renewable or green energy. <coughs> Pardon me. You have to have that baseload backup power to energize these devices. And right now, it's about three to four times more expensive to utilize the electrolyzer to produce hydrogen. And that's fine because there's investment going into this and, and these costs will reduce and they're reduced when you commercialize and scale up these technologies. Also, what we have, which is readily available, are a lot of resources such as natural gas or, for that matter, oil, where you can gasify or use steam methane reformers to produce green hydrogen. So hydrogen is hydrogen at the end of the day. When you burn it, it's clean. But depending on the process and how you're producing it, that's where you have to capture CO2, and that's where carbon capture technology plays a pivotal role or a vital role in producing hydrogen using feedstocks such as natural gas. So it's the fuel of the future. I say it's the fuel that's going to be needed now, but it's clean, and we have to embrace this. But we also have to take baby steps. The baby steps would be to use hydrogen at the electrical generating stations where currently some may be burning natural gas, but you can take that natural gas and use it as a feedstock to produce hydrogen, but you have to capture the CO2. This stuff works, and this is the direction that we're going to be moving in, at least in the Western developed world, in Canada and the United States. The United States is big on this, but we're also exploring and investing in the green hydrogen uh, technologies. We have to invest in all of these different things and, again, find out what's going to work best in these different regions. Yeah, so they're talking about hydrogen hubs, uh, you know, here in the United States, and we're actually talking about, um, you know, we're lobbying uh, to get one here in, on, on the East Coast in, 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 in PA slash Delaware. Uh, is that what we're talking about right there? Well, the when they're talking about the hub cluster, they're talking about a hub cluster to share costs when you capture the CO2 emission. Because you do have storage capacity in, in that region um, where this call is being housed from the tree police. So, but yes, the hydrogen hub as well, because, or they call them corridors. You can call them what they want, but it's sharing some of the existing infrastructure to start to ramp up and accelerate the deployment of this this. this fuel of the future, if you want to say. And, and one of the things that, as, as we talk, Corey, um, is that the de they say the devil is in the details, right? And um, it, it seems like the narrative that has been put out there, listen, this is complicated stuff. There are smart people. It is, it is very, well, right. very complicated. I, we, I mean, I'm listening intently. You can see my face. Yeah. Well, it's complicated, and, and, and saying And having said that, okay, um, you know, regular people, everyday lay people like myself and, and, and you know, people just walking around out there it, and even uh, people who consider themselves environmentalists in many cases have no idea or, 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 what they're talking about or, or they don't understand it. The devil is in the details. Kraus, one of the things that's great about this broadcast and having a Corey Chen, I, I, I've been waiting to have Corey on the program for a long time, is to talk about the details. I asked this uh, two questions, uh, uh, Corey. Number one, the left wing is not talking about the details, okay? The left wing environmentalists um, that, that uh, you know, would, would just have everybody believe that we could shut the world down without worrying about mining for, for, for uh, the minerals for, for, uh, for, for electric vehicles, for the batteries for electric vehicles. They would, they would have the world believe we could just do this today. If you, listen, you know, if you watch our legislature, they're saying the same thing, but they're leaving the details out, number one. And number two... Uh, and so, to, do you think that you know? Uh, do you think that's true? Number one, and number two, do the people just not understand this, the details, and how do we make them understand that these messages are unrealistic and, in many cases, like I said, Twilight Zone esque? Well, it's um, it, there is because the misinformation. Um, has actually hindered the progress and how we're going to move forward and have stable economies, you know, the win-win story, you know, cleaning up the environment, creating job opportunities. I think it's incumbent upon all of us. And, you know, we need to have more collaboration between the government, the industry, and, 
and all different interest groups. Everyone, you know, in society needs to play a role, but be at the table to have adult conversations on how we're going to be moving forward because there's so many essential tools out there that we have and solutions that are available. Um, we just need to have the initiative to, and, and push these things forward. Um, whether or not we're, we like this, this is the direction these things will be going because it's important to have a stable economy, but it's also important to clean up the environment. So having said this, as we roll out, um, what needs to happen to accelerate the, the, the deployment of these technologies? And why is it so important to ramp it up faster? How do we do it? Um, well, you have, uh, you have to incentivize these things. And right now, the U.S. is actually in the process of developing a hydrogen strategy. There's um, a number of nations around the world that do have these hydrogen strategies in place. And I, I really look forward to when the U.S. develops this hydrogen strategy because they, will, they can help incentivize this and we can help, you know, educate the public. It's all a step-by-step process uh, to, to move these things forward and, and, and deploy these technologies. But we also have to invest in this. And this whole uh, movement of divesting from fossil fuels is, is, is a catastrophic mistake catastrophic. because it's the fossil it's the fossil fuel industries that will help, you know, uh, invest and subsidize and, and want to become a greener a resource provider. So this is so, so, so important. But it's going to be a, a will and hard work, and it's going to be taking investments to be able to move in that direction. Yeah, and, and, and my final question here is, uh, you know, this is, you know, while it's clearly the right solution, it's not a cheap solution. How do we address the cost of the technology and the criticism of the cost? Well, it's, um, nothing's cheap, but if we don't do this, then we have to look at the cost of the damage that will be done via through climate change, and we're seeing it on the news all the time. So that's where we have to look at cost, is what is the cost if we do nothing? And I think that's um, you know, so important um, because there is, no other, there is no other option other than to make these investments and move forward in this direction again, to have that stable economy and clean up the environment. The win-win story. Well, it's, that's so well put. And I can tell you this. I mean, I've learned so much. I've learned you know, so much the last time you were on the broadcast. I'm ecstatic to have you on on the program. I hope the listeners understand what you're saying. I'd like to get Corey on, you know, what are we... I want, to get, I want to get Corey on speed dial, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers has set up some resources that we'd like to plug uh, where people can get more information on carbon capture use and storage and how it works and why it's a critical solution. www.cleanerfuture.com ccus.org that's www.cleanerfuturecus.org uh, uh, Corey Channon, uh, I cannot thank you enough for joining us, and the information you provided is invaluable. Uh, you know, it's it's you know it's an education. Just being, you know, if people just listen to this broadcast and the information that Corey provided, uh, they'll be much more informed and understand a lot more why we need to do these things. Number one and number two, why we can't just shut ourselves down. Corey, uh, thank you so much for being on the broadcast. Well, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity, and um, I, I look forward to hearing some of your future speakers on this show, and this is how we, we share information with the public, and we just have, this is the right thing to do, and, and thank you again. Yeah, absolutely, and Corey, you'll be sure, look out for the invitation uh, from JDOC. We're putting together our Labor and Energy Summit. Uh, you'll be sure to be invited to be part of that panel. Um, and as J-Doc says, it's going to be an industry first. It's going to be a very meaningful, powerful series of four different labor and, uh, labor and energy summits over the next 12 months. So look forward to that. Wonderful. Thank All right. you. All right. Good stuff. J-Doc and I will be back to wrap things up.
on the other side. Back in a moment. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show, great stuff today, Jay Doc. And I do want to commend you um, for your expertise and understanding of what we're talking about. You have been listening and you also have been doing research on some of these conversations. And I thought you had a great interview with Corey uh, on carbon capture. Um, And I don't often say this much uh, to you, J-Doc. Perhaps I should say it more. Mm -hmm. Well done by you, sir. I appreciate it, Joe. And it's easy, you know, when you have such great guests and and, uh, individuals who who care so much about the environment, but also care uh, know so much about the technologies. Um, they make it possible for us to connect the dots. And so, uh, you know, it, it, I, of course, I'm learning a lot. And the more I learn, uh, you know, the more, you know, I want to, you know, pass it on. Like we talked about, it's a very complicated process. Our job is to simplify it and let people understand uh, you know, what's going on so they can make the proper decisions. And we care about the environment. We just want to you know, do things the right way. And uh, so everybody benefits. So yeah, man, I appreciate the, the, the kind words and sentiments and uh, it's, it's all about the guests and the information and, and sharing it with the public. We will continue to do that. We'll also continue, as referenced during the show, we'll continue to update everyone about our upcoming series of labor and energy summits. We're going to continue to uh, perhaps come to a city, town, or location near you. We're coast to coast on in the mid-Atlantic states, from Washington to Virginia to Maryland to Delaware to Jersey to the Philadelphia region with some plans for expansion out into the western part as well. This is the Labor and Energy Show on behalf of my partner, uh, Jay Doc, on behalf of all of our guests and, of course, all of our listeners who continue to tune in. I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.